there. Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Sporting Kansas City's Peter Vermees. You can sign up now for a free or paid subscription to my new newsletter at grantwall.com. It has all my writing, including magazine-style features and on-location stories for every U.S. Men's World Cup qualifier. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your support with that, so check it out. Now, here's my interview with Peter Vermees. Our guest now is our old friend, Peter Vermees, the manager and sporting director for Sporting Kansas City. Peter, it's good to see you. How are you? I'm doing well, Grant. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show, and I hope you're well. I am. I am doing well. Uh, This interview is coming out Thursday, but we are talking on Monday, and it happens to be the day after a rare loss for your team this season. And this interview isn't going to be focused on that game. I want to focus on your season, but I do wonder, even when you're in second place in the West, what is the day after a tough loss like for you personally? Um, it's it's always it's always difficult because you second guess many things. Your coffee never tastes as good after a win, that's for sure. Um, but I've learned over the years you got to get on with the next game really quickly because it winds up being a lot of wasted energy focusing on what had occurred. There's obviously a few things that you can take from the game that are negative, and then um, there's always something positive as well. And, and so really it's how do you take whatever you evaluated from the last game and can you take a few of those things and use them for the next game, especially when you look at the opponent that you're playing against. And that, that, that's kind of been my MO for a number of years, having done this for quite a long time. Uh, and it really is about just getting on with the next one. Well, you have another midweek game that's going to take place before this podcast comes out, so you kind of have to this time of the season. In the big picture, your team is having another good season. You're fighting for first place in your conference, third best record in the league, a candidate to win MLS Cup again. When you look at the trajectory of your season so far, what stands out to you? We've had a really good mentally. Uh, we've had a really good mentality up to this point. There's been games where we've gone down early, and we've found a way to get back into the game. Uh, when we've lost, we've usually responded in the next game pretty well. And so, the mentality of the team has been has been good. There's been a commitment. There's been a belief, and there's been a good effort in understanding that over the course of the season. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have guys called up for international duty. There's going to be a lot of different variations of what's going on with your team. But the response of the group has been really good. And, again, that mentality has been has been strong thus far. And, and that's the one thing I hope continues to get better. But more importantly, the guys that have been out for different reasons wind up being really strong here at the end of the year as opposed to us now like last year where Polito was unavailable. Yeah, I want to make sure that we're in a place where we have all of our players actually available at the end of the year. Speaking of which, are you feeling okay about the possibility of Polito being available and, and ready to contribute for the playoffs? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's actually in a good place. He trained again today. Uh, he's trained last week a bunch of days, but he's also got general soreness, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to also be a little sensitive to make sure that when he does play that he feels good not just where his injury was, 
but everywhere else. And I don't, I don't want that to become other injuries. So we're, we're, we're trying to chip away at it um, as best we can. We have eight games to go at the moment, so I still feel that we have a lot of games where he's going to be able to play and get fitness and all that stuff. It's, it's just making sure we manage it correctly. You've been through a lot of these stretch runs in your coaching career. What are the things that you're looking to learn about your team during this stretch run this season? Where we've been pretty good all season is is that we've taken game plans where you know you for us it's we, we play very similar similarly I don't change the formation all that much uh, so from that perspective it it's you know it's pretty turnkey it's when you put the little nuances in based on the opponent that you're playing or something that we think maybe we can take advantage of or something they do really well that we have to be aware of it's the implementation of that where the guys have have grown but we have to grow a little bit more and i also believe that as you get into the at the end of the season and even closer to the postseason if you want to go far you have to be able to defend well and uh that's a really important thing to to get on and and get into that form that you need to and and look i played in a team many years ago uh i remember it was uh I got traded from New York to Colorado uh, in 96. Colorado was the worst team in Major League Soccer. I'd go there for the start of the 97 season, and we go to the MLS Cup Final. And when we got into the MLS, we got in as the last place team, and we made it all to the final because we changed our team around a little bit, and we were lights out defensively, and we scored some very you know timely goals, if you will, against our opponents. And all of a sudden, it's kind of the Cinderella story. Everybody starts to believe. So you can change that very quickly, uh, but also can change the other way as well. And so you have, to, you have to be very concentrated, focus on that. And those are the little things that we're building towards as we move forward. You know, you're the longest tenured head coach in this league by, by quite a bit at this point, I think. And I'm wondering from your perspective, what are the keys to longevity as a coach beyond the obvious of winning? I actually think the the, the better word, because obviously everybody has to win. We, we both know that. At, the, at this level, everybody has to win. It obviously helps if you win a trophy here or there because it validates what you're doing. But I think the real thing is is the, it's the, it's, it's making sure that year after year you have a competitive team. Um, obviously, everybody always states before the season starts, hey, we want to win on this cup and we want to win this one. That's all sounds great, but I think at the end of the day, you have to be a team that puts yourself in a position to be able to compete with the best teams. Um, and, and that's what we try to do each year. And I think that is the, the key personally to, to the longevity of, of any coach, any team, and, and consistency. And as someone who's seen this league from the start to where it is today, there's so much more money in this league now when you have... $325 million expansion fees. I can remember a decade ago, it was like $5 million. And so a lot's changed. And, and Kansas City is not the biggest market in the league. How have you adapted as a club to continue being able to be near the top of the league in a much richer environment league-wide? Yeah, yeah. And it's okay. I, I, I know you're trying to be respectful, and I appreciate that. But we're, we're not a super club, right? We're not spending big amounts of money like a lot of clubs in the league are. And, and that's just not our model. And so, you know, I personally have 
have a, uh, um, how should I, I have a responsibility in that, correct? Both being the sporting director and the coach. And so at the end, I can either figure out how to be successful in it, or I can just complain about it all day. And the, the latter is just not my personality. It's, it's more of trying to figure out how can we continue to compete with other teams who actually get a chance to, you know, really bring in some high quality players. Not to say that we don't have those. It's just that we have to try to do it in a different way. I wind up getting a lot of guys that, frankly, and it's no disrespect to them, it's just reality. Wind up getting a lot of players that either had really high projections sometime in their career and didn't get there for whatever the reason is. It's not always their fault. Or they had a really good run at some point and then they fell off a little bit. And we've been able to bring a lot of those players in and sort of resurrect their careers and they become extremely productive for our club. So that's one. The other is, is that I think if you're going to be in this business for a long time, and I, and, and I would say that this doesn't exist in most corporations, if you will, and that is you have to have a strong culture. And I know that that is used a lot in business and in sports. And I think it's, it's, it's used very loosely, but everybody has a culture. But I would say that 95% of them are negative cultures because to have a, first off, if you're going to have a good culture and you're going to sustain it, it's going to be because of consistency of people, because it's people that create the culture in your organization. And so the fact that I have been here for a long time helps a lot. Um, and, you know, I'm involved in all the people that are hired on the technical side. I, I, I do that. So I try to hire those people that are a part of um, who we are and what we want to try to accomplish year after year. And that has a big effect on the players and, and how they perform on a regular basis. But I also think the guys that we do recruit are high quality. Like I said, just at times they haven't maybe been able to, you know, cre- uh, uh, reach that or hit that potential. And, and that's been a big success for us. I, the word you just used that I thought was really fascinating, it was all interesting, is resurrect. Like, how do you resurrect somebody in your position? I can say this because I'm, I, I'm here, as you said, for a long time, right? I can say this, and that is, I think when, when you're in sports, whether you're a player or you're a coach, you're always searching, um, and even staff members for that matter, you're always searching for a home. You're always searching for a place that you can really say, hey, I really feel comfortable there. So I, I think the first thing is, is that we try to create, if you will, in the profession, we try to create a home for those players, a place that they actually feel comfortable where they can, they can reach their potential. And the first thing you have to create there is, is trust in the relationship. And that doesn't always happen right away. They have to see it. They have to... They have to, when I say that to see it, they have to see it examples of that. And so that takes a little bit of time, the ad, you know, the adaptation. What you always have the, the uh, you always have this one thing. And that is whenever a player first comes in, he believes. Like he's excited, right? It's a new chapter in his career. He's all excited and all those things. You have to make sure that you take advantage of that in a positive way, not in a negative way. And so always really careful to make sure that that is, is at least as much as I can control, I control to make sure that it's, in the, it's going in the right direction, not the other. You know, you were the, the manager, you were the sporting director. 
it's fairly rare in the modern game, even in MLS, for that to be the case. Bruce Arena's having a really good season in New England, uh, running the personnel side and, and the first team side. I guess I would wonder, how are you able to make it work in the modern game? I think it would have been difficult if I would have started out coaching and tried to do the other. The mm-hmm. fact that I started out the other, I always wanted to be a coach. That I mean, I don't think that's news to anybody, right? I mean, I always wanted to do it. I was with Ziggy with the U20s, and so I, I always wanted to do that. When I got into the management side, it was actually great education because I learned about all the player mechanisms. I learned about, um, you know, I, when I was a player, I did all my own contracts. So that I'm not going to say that, it, you know, I knew everything, but I had a good step in the right direction of being able to then negotiate with players on their contracts. What I've been able to do, though, over the years, and as, I, as, this, as you had stated earlier, where the league had progressed from 96 until now, I mean, obviously it's night and day. And so... I can't do all the contracts anymore, not because of time even. It's just, it's probably not the most healthiest of relationships when I'm asking the guys to, hey, run through a brick wall for me. I'm the coach. And then, hey, I'm taking, you know, I'm not giving you all the money that you want. And that can always be a contentious situation. So I'm, uh, you know, we have a good, Brian Bliss is here. He does a, a ton of that stuff. And so we got a very good relationship and working environment and process in the way that we do all those things. So some of that is how do you manage that situation? Where in this, you know, I, this is going to sound funny and I'm, I'm joking, but I'm not in a way there's a, there's a real benefit and there also can be a lot of pressure to this. And that is when I want a player, I just have to look in the mirror and tell the sporting director, Hey, I'm interested in this guy. What do you think? Oh, great. We can do it. Let's go. There's no argument, but that's also pressure because when he doesn't work, we're both we're both the same guy, and now you know that the the criticism comes back that way as well. But I'd rather be in control of my uh, my fate as opposed to the other way around. I wanted to also ask you about another type of balance and. We're seeing around the league fans of, in particular, Dallas and the New York Red Bulls right now saying publicly, we've developed good young players. We've sold players to you know, foreign teams uh, in Europe. We're, we want to win. We're, we, you know, we think the balance is out of whack. And you're a team that has sold players abroad, just sold Gianluca Buzio to Venezia. You've sold other young players like how how do you find that balance the right way so that you don't have your fans putting out public statements like that? It's a it's a great question. Um, I'll never forget this. So in 2013, you know, we're embarking on the season. We're in preseason, and Kai Kamara, who you know was a was an excellent player for this club. He really was. He both on and off the field. Um, he has an unbelievable personality. And he was our leading goal scorer. And so he comes to me, and you may or may not know this, but I have a, I have a very strong philosophy around the transferring of players. I believe that, or I should say, I, I look for guys when I'm trying to recruit players in. I look for players that have strong personalities. I look for players that are ambitious. And sometimes that ambition can be with our club. And sometimes that ambition could be, hey, I want to do well here to st- to have it, use it as a stepping stone to go someplace else. And I'm very respectful of that because I know that for some, like a Graham Zussi, we might be one club. 
for the Kai Kamars of the world, he may have other ambitions, and I'm fully respectful of that. that. That's the way it is. So he comes to me before we're in preseason, we're in Arizona, and he says, hey, listen, there's an EPL team that's interested in uh, bringing me on loan, and, you know, as you know, I would really like to do that. And I was like, Kai, you're a leading goal scorer. Tell me a club in the world that's going to loan out their leading goal scorer. He's like, I know, but, you know, this is something that I really want to do. And, and I, you know, I said, listen, let me think about it. And I remember going away. It was kind of in the morning. I thought all through the day and into the night. I came back to him the next day. I said, look, if the club comes and provides a, a good offer, then I will seriously consider it. Obviously, I have to always approach the, uh, our board, which is our owners, just to tell them, you know, hey, this is an opportunity. And so long story short, we loaned them. Hmm. And that wasn't easy, okay? But I also had to go with something that we have in our club, and that is, so I have four core values that make up our culture. And the number one is the team is always first. And so at that moment, Kai was interested in something that he wanted to do. And I have to believe in the team because the team's always first. And so I chose to allow him to go while still remaining true and and trustworthy of the core which was the team and so i you know that year he he left and he came back probably was here for about six weeks and then a purchase came in for him and we sold him and we went on as you know to win mls cup that year and and it was it was a great lesson for me because even like this year, if you would ask me as the coach, do I want to sell Busio? Absolutely not. I thought Boos was, man, he was flying. He was coming into his own. He was providing us with a look that was really good in the way that we were playing. Uh, he just had other qualities he brought to the position, and I could move other guys around and use some of their strengths to help us do other things. And so, yeah, the, the coach didn't want to sell him, but the sporting director understood that there was also a conversation when I was signing him that he had other ambitions. And so I had to make also a business decision, which we were all on the same page with. And I thought Boos was a great player here, but I also felt that I also had to be true to the team in what we were trying to do. And I, and we're still look, we're very, we're still competitive, even though Boos has left. We're still kind of in a good place, and we're going to continue to keep working towards that. And so to your point, I think it's it's really it's also planning, but I but I. Look, and I think young players, it's, it's always on them. Just because a guy's young doesn't mean he can't play. But they also have to take advantage of the opportunities they get. Mm-hmm. And so there is a fine line between having veterans. I always say middle-class guys, which – and I say veterans are 28 and above. The middle-class guys are usually like 23 to 27, 28. And then below 22 is your kind of young guys. And you've got to have a good balance of those guys in your team because – there's going to be moments and seasons where you're challenged mentally. And if you haven't been through that a lot, you can only rely on sort of the young buck who's just, you know, uh, willing to just try it all, but that's not necessarily going to win the day for you and got to have some veteran guys around. Yeah. At least that's what I believe. You mentioned you have four core values and you, you specified one of them with me. What are the other three? Intelligence, but... I'm not asking guys to perform brain surgery on Monday morning, right? I, I, I'm asking them that when we 
have a game plan and, and they have either individually a role to play or within the team for that game that they can implement that onto the field. So soccer intelligence. Uh, third is work ethic. If you're not going to work here, you, you won't last long. I, it doesn't matter how long your contract is or anything. It's just you have to know that every game in this league is a battle. Every team can beat anybody on any given day. And if you're going to be successful, you got to work. And then the fourth is a winning mentality, but really trans or de- define is defined as you pursue excellence in everything that you do. So the easy way to break that down is is that if if we have lunch and we do every day breakfast and lunch, and the guy's got to clean up their area, you put your plate where it belongs, you know your utensils after you're done, you clean up your area. If you can't do that, then more than likely you might miss your assignment on a corner kick for per se. But I also know that when the guy leaves here, that when he goes home, his, his house might be a pigsty. I, I don't go home to his house. I hope that some of the, the values that we try to uh, you know, uh, implement here, they carry forward to other things they do in their lives. But for sure, when they're here and they're a part of the team and all that, my objective is they pursue excellence in everything that they do. And hopefully that lends itself to the field as well. Fascinating. Thanks for sharing. We had Bruce Arena on here recently on the show. He is famously anti-data analytics in soccer. Makes no apologies for that. How much do you use data in your job? I would say that I'm probably the guy in the middle. So I, I really enjoy technology. Um, I'm always interested in whatever's new, new is out there, but I don't necessarily, you know, all of a sudden go, Oh, forget everything else, and now I'm doing that. I, 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 no, I don't do that. I use certain parts of um, data, um, things that I think pertain to the way that we play, um, th- little trends that you might see with your team or another team. I like to see little things like that. Um, but I'm definitely not – I'm probably like middle-of-the-road guy when it comes to, to, to data and technology. I always feel like I should ask you about the U.S. men's national team. You're a former player, played in World Cups. Uh, I know you care deeply. How are you feeling about where the team is right now? I think I think Greg and his staff, they're doing a great job. I think those guys, they, they really care. That you, you, I know that they work really hard. Um, and I know that it's a, it's a very difficult job because you want to create a, a style of play. You want to play a certain way. You want all those things, but you also have a very short period of time. And it's really hard to get all of those concepts um, into the players, especially when they're playing at their club teams and that's their main focus. And that's where they get most of their information from. So I think those guys are doing a great job. Uh, I have all the faith in the world that they'll qualify the team. Um, it's a battle. I mean, I don't care. You could take a European team and bring them over here and put them in you know, our qualifying and have to travel to all the different places and the way the games are and all that. And they would find it a, a, a difficult road to, to, to haul. So um, I think they're doing a good job. I really do. And I think there's a, there is a really good crop of players um, that we have coming through right now. And, and, I, and I think they've shown that one is they can win. Um, when you look at the, the uh, especially the Gold Cup, I say that because you had a different team there. 
And a lot of those guys, I thought, took a really big step forward to showing that there's a whole other group of guys that are right there pushing to be in that in that first team. And I think that's really healthy for for the for our for now and for the future for our men's national team. I also just wanted to ask you really quick about Hungary. I know you have you've been influenced a lot by Hungarian football. Um, you have Chalowy been playing for Hungary. You know, they were a pretty big part of the Euro this summer. Uh, and can you explain to our listeners, I guess, a little bit of sort of your connection and, and how you've been influenced by Hungarian football and how you stay connected? Sure. So my my father was and my mother were both from Hungary. They came to this country in 56. They escaped actually from Hungary when the Russians were coming in and taking over, uh, you know, all of Eastern Europe, if you will. And so uh, so my father had to cut his his my father's professional soccer player. So he he uh, cut his his uh, his professional career short. And but, you know, he, he instilled in myself and my brothers, uh, you know, love for the game. And uh, so I and he told me all the stories when he was a pro when I was a kid growing up. And, you know, those were all things that kind of, you know, they 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 really made me fall in love with the game and just understanding what it was like to be a pro and how you had to conduct yourself. And and so then I also was able to go and I, I was able to see read about Hungarian players of way back to 50s where, you know, their golden era, if you will, with Pushkash and all that stuff. And I got to meet them later in, in life. And um, and then I obviously played there. And so the one thing that I have respect is, is I think that uh, Hungarian soccer players actually individually after a certain period of time, after like the 60s, 50s, 60s, individually, they're really, really good players. And what happened was they lost, I believe, a lot of the team concept. So individually, they were really good. Technically, they were great, but they were only playing for themselves. And they never really had this manager, coach, somebody who could you know, get them to understand the team concept. And what's happening now is I believe that that's changing. They're seeing the rest of the world and how so many different countries that you wouldn't think that could compete, compete because they play as a team, they work as a team, and, and Hungary now is getting back to that, but you're adding the ability that they can play the game. And so I have a lot of respect for the individual qualities of, of Hungarian players. I've really enjoyed watching the development of uh, Dominic Schoboslai, who's been playing for Jesse Marsh at Salzburg and now at Leipzig. Missed the Euro, but just a, a really promising player, and they've got a few of them now. Uh, do you speak Hungarian? So... I used to, we used to speak it when I was growing up all the time. Problem is I don't really get a chance to practice at all. So I can under, understand everything. I would say that my, my, my Hungarian from a, a vocabulary perspective is probably more like uh, a higher end than Spanglish, if you will, in <laughs> Spanish. But, but, it's, but like if I go there and I spent say two days there, it's amazing how much just comes back to you. It's a hard language, man. Like some of the European languages, I feel like I can get some of it, but like that's not one of them. <laughs> no, I mean, people that go there and don't have any background to learn it, to me, they're incredible because it's a tough language. If you get to know me, you'll know that the only Hungarian I know is Royal Tokai, but uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want to I, I ask you about one other thing, and this one's random. And I, I hope you have a sense of humor about it. There was a my kind of my favorite GIF in the history of MLS came out a year or two ago. And it is of you during a game against Vancouver 
basically saying the phrase F off <laughs> down the sideline in three different ways. And on like, it's for me, it's kind of poetry. And so like, I, I feel like I know you a little bit and, and it was, it was good stuff. But how did you feel about it when you saw that for the first time? Well, so I remember the situation really well. Um, <laughs> Kyrie Shelton was down in the left-hand corner from where I was standing on the bench and I was at the, I was, we were visiting Vancouver and so he basically gets forearmed in the back of the head. Call's not made. And then, and then all of a sudden, a call does get made because he's down on the ground. And, but we don't know where it's going. And, and so I turned over to the fourth official. And I said, hey, what is the call? I said, the guy gets forearmed from behind, you know, in the back of his head. And the assistant, um, Mark DeSantis' brother, he must think either I'm talking to them or that he hears me talking and sees me talking to the fourth official because they're on the other side. And then he, you know, mouths, you know, hey, F off, like to me. And I go, F off. Like, anyway, so you know what it looks like. When I saw it, I know exactly what happened. So I kind of was like, yeah, well, that's exactly what happened because that's what I was trying to figure out, like, F off. Yep. Well, you know, <laughs> you get it. So, yeah, it, it was one of those moments where it's uh, it's heat of the moment in the game and whatever. It is what it is. But he he actually came over and I, I like those guys. So it's no big deal. I, I get that sometimes it's part of the game. I also am someone who loves language and love how you can express yourself in different ways with language. And for me, that was that was poetry. So I, I don't know if you intended it, but it was great. <laughs> Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Could, it could have been a lot. It could have been a lot worse. Let's put it that way, or come off a lot worse. Peter Ramiz is the manager and sporting director for Sporting Kansas City. Peter, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Peter Vermees as well as producer Chris Whittingham. You can now sign up for a free or paid subscription to my new newsletter at grantwall.com. It has all my writing, including a big feature on Jesse Marsh, on-location stories for every U.S. Men's World Cup qualifier, and another nice magazine story coming later this week. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your support with all that. I'll see you next time. Mm